What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Classic NBA podcast talking about the uh, top 50 greatest players in NBA history. Uh, I'm Jason Mand, joined as always by Rich Krejci, and uh, back with us again from ProHoopsHistory.com is uh, Curtis Harris, and we are now going to talk about the uh, the slashers and forwards uh, candidates on the uh, top 50. But first, we're going to talk a little bit about you know kind of what we value the most when it comes to picking the uh, top 50. So um, Curtis, I'll let you go first. You know, for you, like what kinds of things are you really looking at when you're, you know, you've made you kind of your own list of top 50 players. I think we're going to talk about a, a little bit later, but what, what are the kinds of things that you, you know, value the most? What I value, I, I don't know what the, the single thing I value the most, but I try to like, combine these ideas of um, how talented were you as a player, but also uh, the longevity you had as a player. So that's always like an interesting kind of binary to have. It's like, well, you have like the, the Penny Hardaways of the world that are just super talented, but only last, you know, at their talented peak for like five or six years. 
But then you have, say, uh, a Robert Parrish-type player that didn't have the peak that Penny Hardaway did, but he did it for, like, you know, 14, 15, 16 years at a really high level. Uh, so that's always the thing you try to balance out first, and then you start thinking about uh, how well that they entertain fans, like what kind of stylistic uh, changes that they bring to the NBA or to basketball in general. Um, so those things I kind of consider first and foremost. And after that, I start looking at team success because team success, um, that's a really hard thing to start quantifying and really trying to pin on just one player. Uh, but I do take that into, the, into account after I do the first few things of like, how good were you and what did you change about just how people play basketball? Then I get to how well did your teams do because of you uh, while you're in the NBA. Uh, Rich, how about you? Yeah, I, I, similar. I think you have to sort of do a blended approach when you, when you look at something like this. Like I, I, I tend to look at, you know, obviously me, you know, being me, I look at a lot of the statistics and where you sort of rank and, and not necessarily – you know, I look at overall rankings of all time and, you know, where you, but understanding that the eras are, you know, very era dependent as well. So looking at sort of where you rank among your era, are you, you know, one of the top guys and in, in whatever, you know, in a number of stats in your era among people playing your position, I think is very important. I think it's important also to look at and, and what they meant to the history of the game as well. Like there's guys in this list that we're going to mention that, you know, maybe purely statistics wise, they're, they're not there, but if they're significant for a reason, I mean, that I think still counts in when you talk about greatest, because it's not the 50 best players in NBA history, it's the 50 greatest. And I think there's always, there's a little kind of nuance to that of, of, of what you really consider, you, you know, when you look at that. And, and like Curtis said, I think, you know, how long you did it for is very important as well. Uh, if you have a great, if you, you know, if you have a short peak, it better be like unbelievably great. You know, you know, there's a few guys on this list that, that are that. But yeah, I got like a Penny Hardaway is a great example of, you know, had a really, really solid peak. But yeah, you'd be hard pressed to make an argument that he's, you know, had a, a just an unbelievable you know stellar you know elite elite level peak so yeah he gets he gets sort of bumped out but then yeah you get guys like Robert Parrish who were really good for a long amount of time and and you sort of have to weigh those a little bit differently but yeah I, I think a blended approach is obviously going to be the, the the primary way to do this is is for me look at stats look at you know what they meant to the history of the game look at you you know what other people thought of them and 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 just when it comes to mind I think one of the biggest things is when you think of top 50 if you mention that guy and, and your first thought is yes or your first thought is no that can lead you in a pretty good direction as well and and you know you can you can back it up with some stuff but I think a lot of these times you kind of know I feel like you know if, if you're in tune with the game you kind of something clicks when you initially think of it right away and that sort of can lead you down a path as well yeah, and, and I think, you know, I, I do look a lot, I think, at, or, or try to look a lot at the team success because I do think that's important. And, and as Curtis mentioned, it's sort of hard to gauge, you know, exactly who's responsible for that team success, obviously the whole team, but, uh, you know, how much of it is for one player or so. But I think if, you you know, you're a top two or three player for, you know, multi multiple championship runs, I do think that's important. But at the same time, it, it's hard to, uh, and there's going to be, be an example you know a couple down that we're we'll look at that i think there's a you know kind of a good comparison to talk about there but you know how do you weigh that versus you know a great individual player who you know had this great production and did all these you know incredible things and is really high value but doesn't really have that level of team success i mean that, that's just a really tricky thing to weigh and and um i do think it's important i do think yeah there is a slight difference between best and greatest that i and i think there's some um there's some nuance there, um, some interesting things. You know, and one thing for me is I do think it's kind of important to, um, uh, you know, be mindful of including, uh, 
you know, being fair to every NBA era, um, you know, because obviously a lot of these lists, you know, aren't really um, strong in the, uh, you know, 40s and 50s players. Uh, and Curtis, you've done a nice job of you know, highlighting a lot of those guys, and you know, in and putting some of those guys in a greater context and, and bringing those guys out. Um, but I do think that it is, you know, I mean, you have to look at obviously how they produced and, and, and compare them within your. But I do think it's important to at least like um, not dismiss an era just because you know some of those guys maybe don't you know measure up as far as memorable or maybe even in terms of um of some production because you have to just figure that um you know maybe the stats are going to be skewed because of you know that that style of play and i i think it's important to um you yeah, know I, we're, we're, st we're stat heavy here but looking at obviously more than just the stats is sure um is very important or you can say Curtis? yeah absolutely yeah, just like something like you're talking, I was talking about like, you know, the, the wind share stats. Like that stat is just so heavily skewed for people who've played in the last 30, 30, 35 years. And sure. uh, people that played in the 40s and 50s and 60s, like they don't have the wind share totals that someone like, God, who's somebody who just doesn't go away? Like Jermaine O'Neal. Like he, I'm sure he has way more wind <laughs> shares than, than like um guy like Cliff Hagen or George Mikan or Hal Greer. But those guys are probably more significant to Jermaine O'Neal in the big scheme of things for NBA history, but Jermaine's got the more, got more win share. So if you go just by the stats, that might lead you down the wrong direction. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. And I think the longevity, obviously that modern players have as well. I mean, that's going to just inflate some of those guys um, uh, to a degree. Although again, I mean, you know um, what a guy can accomplish in 19 years versus what a guy can accomplish in, in 10 or 12 years, you know, that, that, you know, they, that extra time is obviously deserving of some merit too. So there's, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's a tricky thing. Um, uh, anything else before we move on to uh, talking about some more players? No, I think we're good. All right. Um, so next uh, uh, is, uh, uh, oh, Curtis, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, no, I'm good. I'll say no, I got nothing else to add. That's good. is uh Clyde Drexler who have rated as very likely uh shooting guard for, for uh 1984 to 1998 I kind of included him on this list I kind of consider him more of a slasher style um than you know kind of than you know a jump shooting shooting guard I kind of felt like he fit more on uh this list a little bit although I could be wrong about that uh nobody's perfect but uh, for, um, one time all NBA first team, two times on the second team, two times on the third team. Um, actually I'm surprised he didn't quite have more in, in those, uh, categories. Although it's still obviously very good. Uh, 32nd all time win shares, 50th, um, in, uh, win shares for 48, uh, six times in the top 10 in, uh, win shares per season and um better when it comes to uh value of a replacement player was there uh, uh, nine time nine seasons where he was in the top 10 in value of a replacement player that's that's a stat that is calculated after uh 74 so the early players don't there's no way to evaluate them based on that but um uh, so yeah um you know he was the the best player on some elite portland teams from in the early 90s that two two finals appearances also won the title as a key player with the uh, 1995 Rockets. Um, so, Curtis, what do you have to say about uh, Clyde Drexler? 
Uh, he's, I don't know, I, I feel more dubious about Clyde um, than you guys, um, based on what you're really like saying. He's very likely. Um, I might peg him down to the likely level uh, just because he, he had amazing st- statistical um, uh, versatility. Like the stats really do show how versatile he was. Uh, this is a guy who could score 25 points and get seven rebounds, seven assists, almost three steals, and get a block in a single game. Um, but when I watch him play, and I've seen a lot of Clyde Drexler, uh, when I watch him play, it just feels like um, that ultimate statistical production doesn't quite um, – I feel like feel like it overstates what he actually did during the game. Uh, so I, I feel like this is a case of, like, stats just, like, uh, overstating someone's impact on the game, mm-hmm. uh, just, based, just based on what I'm, what I'm actually watching the game. Um, but on the flip side, like, he did produce a lot. He was on – was the best player on three really incredible Portland Blazers teams. And the only reason why those teams kind of came to an end was, I think – like, just like, I think they came to an end. I think the big reason for it was, you know, he got a pretty bad hamstring injury. And that really did uh, kind of derail his career when he turned 30. He got that pretty bad hammy in- injury and then um, really had a hard time staying on the court, like, fully effective for the rest of his career. Uh, but, uh, you know, re- really great shooting guard. Um, like, if you had him on your team, you'd be completely happy and fine with him. Uh, the one problem I had with him, besides, like, the stats maybe overstating this case, is... He took way too many damn three pointers. Um, <laughs> not not that good of a jump shooter. He was all right, but then three pointers was way beyond his range. And he just, as his career went on, and then the legs got slower, he just took more and more bad three pointers. Uh, but yeah, I put him as likely, pretty good candidate. Yeah, I don't have anything strong uh, to add about him. I think Curtis kind of hit it on the head. I mean, he's a guy who statistically, you know, jumps out, but. Yeah, as we mentioned, when you look at his era, the guys he was with, you know, the guys he was playing with, he, he had a tough time of really standing out amongst them in, in terms of anything, awards, leaderboards, any sort of things like that. So, you know, when you look at it as all time, you know, stats wise, yeah, he, he's he's certainly up there and you could certainly make the case. But there's some issues with era and him standing out in his era, being elite in his era. And there's there's always going to be some weird stuff with him. And then, like you mentioned, I, I, I'm with you, Kurt. I, I've watched a lot of his stuff and. And it never really jumps out to me that this is a guy that's that that's great. You, you know, I know that he's he's you know great, and I know that he's he's probably likely for a top of fifty list just based off of a lot of the stuff, you know, stats wise and hearing about him and that sort of stuff. But when you watch him, I mean, nothing really jumps out at you. So he's an interesting one. I would probably keep him on the very likely, but yeah, I could I could see arguments on, on a few different ways. But yeah, I don't really have much else to add uh, about Clyde. Yeah, I agree. I think he was the kind of the last guy I bumped up from likely to very likely. So he would be right in that range for uh, me as well. Um, so next we have uh, George Gervin, who I have uh, rate, we have rated as likely uh, shooting guard and small forward from uh, 73 to 86, almost all with the uh, Spurs, except for one uh, cameo with the uh, Chicago Bulls. Um Five-time uh, All-NBA first team and uh, two-time All-NBA second team. Also two-time All-NBA, All-ABA second team as well. So, um, so nine All uh, All League teams uh, in total. Fifty-second uh, in win shares, seventy-third in win shares per forty-eight. Had um, eight seasons of um, top ten uh, win shares in the league. Uh, he was an amazing scorer, um, but was also maybe a bit one-dimensional um, other than points, but he was really good at points. So, um, uh, so Curtis, what do you think of George Griffin? 
Oh, man, George is one of those great cases to debate because you, you got it where he's absolutely phenomenal scorer. Uh, but he did get to the point where he was, you know, one-dimensional, like, you know, just give ice the ball. He'd go out there and just finger roll <laughs> and jump shot and get those points. And people would talk about it. Like, you read people talk about George Gervin. It was like, you know, you're watching the game and someone tells you he had, you know, 40, 45 points. You'd be like, he does? Like, you just don't even notice it. Like, he's just just sliding and gliding out there and just drops 40 points when you don't even quite realize it. And I don't know quite what to make of that. Like, is that a good thing that someone can score 40 points and you don't quite realize it? Like, uh, should that 40 points be more, you know, disheartening or, you know, destructive to the other team where they, like, they feel every point is crushing them or is this silent assassin getting the job done? And when you look at the team's results, you, his personality kind of came out through what, what they ended up resulting in because, you know, he was a scorer first um, toward the end of his career when he ended up making that cameo in Chicago. Um, <laughs> we don't have to talk about Spurs that. Coach, <laughs> before they traded him to the Bulls, the new Spurs coach, I forget who it was, uh, but the coach wanted to use Gervin as a sixth man. And George Gervin's like, I'm, I'm not, excuse my language, but he said, like, I'm not fucking John Havlicek. I don't come off the bench. <laughs> and I think that sums him up. Like, he was there to score points. He was not there to do what was best for the team necessarily. He was there to score a bunch of points. So I think that statement should count a lot where someone like John Havlicek, who was great enough to start, had no problem coming off the bench if he could see, like, this is going to help the team out. And George, George Gerber never quite saw that, even when he was getting towards the end of his career. It, it's sort of funny that it, the, the guy that he would say is John Havlicek, like, he, like why don't you, like, pick, like, you know, the random sixth man of, like, the day, <laughs> you know, uh, rather than, uh, you know, if you're going to insult somebody, you know, why, like, you know, it's funny to use John Havlicek as your insulting example. But, yeah, but, yeah. yes, that's uh, well put. Yeah, I mean, the Spurs were um, probably not, were probably a little bit um, uh, better than people remember, at least, like, the... Um, you know, they made an Eastern Conference Finals uh, in 79 um, and, uh, you know, had some pretty, uh, you know, made some Western Conference Finals against the Lakers in the um, early 80s. So, you know, they, they had some strong playoff teams, but, you know, obviously never made the finals and never won a championship. And um, and I, I think your point, you know, of them sort of reflecting Gervin, um, you know, is 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 a good one. I mean, they were very, you know, had some very good teams, but ultimately some some fatal flaws. Yeah, and- yeah, and I'll, and I'll say again, like, but the teams did really well. Like, that, it wasn't because of George Gervin's leadership. Like, that Eastern Conference Finals team, and even in the ABA, they had a lot of success. That was thanks to James Silas. Like, he was the leader on that team uh, mm-hmm. at, the, at that point. Then in the early 80s, they got lucky and got Artis Gilmore and um, had Johnny Moore playing point guard at that point. So those guys were the ones that were kind of leading the team, and Gervin was just out there dropping the points. Uh, he was never someone to lead the team, so... I feel like that counts a lot against him uh, when you look at his all-time status. Okay. Yeah, and, and statistically, you look at him all the time, and yeah, he registers a lot in the points, you know, points per game, per 36. I mean, all that stuff does really well, but then doesn't register one bit in anything else. Like, he's not in the, the top 100 or top – I mean, just, just completely out of it in every, almost every other statistical category. So, yeah, he, he's elite scorer, but really, really nothing else on his resume whatsoever. So he, he'll be an interesting one going forward. But, yeah, I, I don't have a ton more to add about George Gervin. But, yeah, scoring, great, everything else, <laughs> pretty much non-existent. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, so our next player is uh, James Worthy, who we have on the bubble, uh, small forward from 1983 to 94 with the Lakers. 
He does have two All-NBA third teams, um, 136th in win shares, 184th in uh, win shares per 48. And I, I think this is sort of what I was talking about a little bit earlier is in terms of like, you know, being, you know, one of the most important contributing players to, you know, a great championship team, but not really producing like a star. Um, you know, how do we compare that to, you know, somebody who had a far less team success, but, um, but was, you know, was a great star. And I think the, the comparison for me, it's pretty obvious, is Dominique Wilkins, who they were drafted in the same year. Um, and uh, but, you know, Wilkins, it was an incredible score, but was a, you know, more one dimensional player where as worthy was, um, you know, a, a more multidimensional player. Um, but, you know, was 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 not as great in one era, uh, one area. Um so I don't know. I, I, I the, you know, were these definitely, I think, feel like on the uh, bubble for a reason. But uh, Curtis, uh, w w how do you feel about about Worthy being worthy of the uh, top 50? He shouldn't have been on the list in 1997. He he shouldn't have been there. Like, I, I, he earned a nickname, Big Game James. Like, he showed up at the big playoff moments. You look at his playoff numbers, they are higher than his regular season averages. Um, but he, he shouldn't have been on that list. Um, I don't know if there's more I can add to that. Like, the guy was fortunate to play in, like, one of the best teams ever. Like, just fell into him because Ted Stepien was stupid in Cleveland and traded the pick to the Lakers. They get a number one pick. And James Worthy just fall, falls into the greatest situation in the world. Clearly talented player, but uh, it, we will never know just how truly talented he was because, like, he got to play with Magic and Kareem and – Byron Scott and Norm Nixon and Jam Jamal Wilkes and all these other players just helping him hold the water. And unfortunately, by the time all those guys were all gone, by the early 90s, he started breaking down. So we couldn't, like, see, like, how can James Worthy carry the Lakers on his own? By that point, like, he had some injuries. And so, um, yeah, he, he's kind of a big question mark, even though he has, like, a finals MVP and some championships. He's still a big question mark for me. And um, I wouldn't have him in the top 50 list back in 97. Yeah, he, he's a guy who really suffers a lot when, when you look at, you know, advanced stats and, and basic stats as well. I mean, he's 99th all-time in points, you know, it's total points, which is, is, is solid, but still, I mean, it's still 99th, you know, overall. 28th uh, among guards of his era in true shooting, 8th in total win shares again. So, yeah, he's got some, some gaudy numbers here and there, but it's really hard to make a case that he's, you, you know, a guy that that wouldn't be chopped off the list if you were trying to add a lot of new, you know, current guys. Like, he to me, he's on the low end of that bubble, and I would have no problem, you know, removing him you know, on this list. And, and like Curtis said, I, I would almost be hard pressed to add him even to that initial list. So. Yeah. I think he's one of the, definitely one of the guys who would sort of be like one of the more questionable choices on that um, top 50 list. I mean, I get the case, but I just, yeah, I don't think it's, it's quite uh, that strong. And certainly I don't think he's gonna, you know, he's one of the first off the chopping block. I would definitely sure. agree with that. Yeah. Um. So next is, um, uh, Paul Arizon, uh, uh, who we have rated as very likely um, a small forward uh, from 1951 to 62 for the uh, Philadelphia Warriors. Did did he make it to uh, Did he make it to San Francisco, Curtis? No, he he retired specifically because, well, at least from the NBA, he retired because they moved to San Francisco. He stayed in Philadelphia because okay. he had a better job That's at right. IBM. There you go. Um, I love that. That was, <laughs> that was the thing. Um, what a league. Yeah. 
uh, no, like, three like, times. Yeah, I think oh, I think that happened this year in free agency too. That a few of the guys said, "No, I got a I got a good desk job. I'm going to do that instead." Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Mark Jimmy Butler turned down the Bulls' money to uh, continue his uh, his work at the desk job that he worked at. So no, I I, I absolutely love Paul Arison. So I'm completely unbiased when it comes to him. So um, yeah, no, he's great. This, this is awesome. Yeah, he uh, you wrote a great piece on him. Um, and uh, he's a uh, three-time All-NBA first team, once on the All-NBA second team, 64th in win shares, 31st in win shares for 48, so very good there. Uh, eight times was a top 10 player in uh, win shares, and he only played, uh, I think he played nine, or, or um, I think he, he played 10 years. So, um, and uh, had a, has a championship in 56 as the number one or number two player on that team. Probably number one player on that team with Neil Johnston as a close number two. Uh, and nine, pretty much nine elite seasons out of ten. So um, uh, excellent player. So so you love you love him. Why don't you talk more about him, Curtis? Oh, my God. I could talk all day long about Paul Harrison. Um, this guy is amazing. So he he – Gets credited, he shouldn't get credited with this, but he's often credited with like being you know, the inventor of the jump shot. Um, he was not the first person to do a jump shot, but uh, he was probably the first like really great NBA player. Uh, you know, Joe Folks was there a little bit, but Paul Arison was definitely like the first great player to consistently like be great and use the jump shot and led the league in scoring twice, uh, led the league in field goal percentage. Uh, like I went back in. Um, looked at who should have won MVPs in the NBA. Uh, I guess this is just my opinion, but um, prior to, I think, the 56, yeah, the 56 season, the NBA didn't have MVPs, so I went back and looked at those seasons. And based on what I looked at, Arison should have been the MVP in 1952, uh, where he, like, led the league in scoring and in field goal percentage in the same year as a small forward and averaged almost uh, 11 and a half rebounds a game. And, like, this dude was tearing up the NBA, and then what happens? He gets drafted into the Marines for two years. So it's like there goes two years out of his prime. Like that was only his second NBA season. And then he comes back, has like get kind of back in the groove when you get back from the Marines. And then his second year back in the NBA from the Marines, they win the NBA championship. And he's clearly the best player in the NBA final series. Um, he killed the Fort Wayne Pistons. Um, so this guy, in my mind, is unequivocal, should forever be in the top 50 NBA players whenever they make the list. Uh, for what he contributed in terms of, like, you know, popularizing the jump shot and really just being, like, you know, the the best scoring small forward for the 50s and early 60s in the NBA. Yeah, I don't know much else to add. I mean, the guy, I think his resume is, is, is speaks for itself. I think he's a, a surefire guy. I mean, we put him at very likely. I think you could put him at a shoe-in as well. I, I, I don't see a scenario where I'd bump him out at all. I mean, there, everything checks out, rate stats, advanced stats, everything, and and just – Everything. There's no real argument that I can make for for fall uh, getting him out of there. So he's in for me. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree as well. So um, next we have uh, Scotty Pippen, um, who we have classified as very likely, which should not be a surprise. Uh, small forward from uh, 1988 to 2004, uh, three time All NBA first team player, two times second, uh, two times on the third team. Um, also an eight time, all uh, defensive first team and twice on the second team as well. Uh, 40th in win shares all time, 117th in win shares per, uh, 48, um, at, uh, five seasons as top five in, uh, win shares, uh, value of a replacement player had, uh, seven times in the top 10. So, 
Um, of course, uh, you know, was the uh, number two player on uh, six Bulls championship teams. Uh, incredibly versatile, played great defense, could run the offense. Um, just, you know, a, a fantastic player. Rich and I have done an entire podcast on Scottie Pippen. So, uh, Curtis, uh, what, uh, what what can you say about Scotty? What I can say about Scotty is he... First off, he needs to quit doing all these stupid TV shows recently. Um, <laughs> he really is. Yeah, he's <laughs> making a lot of dumb media appearances recently. I don't know yeah. what's wrong with that. He's got um, got his got to get his clicks, you know. And he says this. He says the hot take stuff too. That's just the worst too. It's yeah, not like he goes in there and does. He just has to say the dumbest thing. That now I have to read forty-seven articles about it. And oh god. Yeah. Uh, but but the but the pertinent information on this topic. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think Scotty. You get, I think he hit it, uh, Jason. He's very versatile, um, and his versatility is what allowed the Bulls to win those championships. Like clearly, Michael Jordan is like you know is the the center of it all. But you know, his ability and um, Scottie Pippen's ability to play to play and guard point guard, shooting guard, small fours, and yeah. even a little bit of power forwards with Scottie Pippen, uh, that just allowed his ultimate versatility uh, on the in the backcourt, even going into the front court and. Those two guys, just like they just played off each other so well. Um, and you know, even when Scotty left the Bulls and went to the Blazers, like obviously he was much older by that point, and we'll, we'll forget he ever went to the Rockets. Uh, but when he went to the Blazers. <laughs> what about Bears, his last Bulls year? <laughs> his last two Bulls years. <laughs> Man, but he was he was diminished physically, but uh, still had that like leadership quality. You could see that his impact on that team. Um, they so close to getting to the NBA Finals in two thousand. And um, and then the next year, like he just didn't quite have the physical gifts anymore, and the team just slowly eroded after that. So you can really tell his just his leadership qualities. Um, so uh, whether he's, I don't know, he's very likely. Obviously, I think he, you guys got it. He's very likely. Um, I'm very strong in like thinking he's a a guy that should be in the top fifty, uh, just based on his versatility and also just his defense. Um, he, this is a guy who's in a conversation for like the best perimeter defender uh, to ever play basketball. And if you're being considered in that kind of conversation, I think that that takes sure. you up to that top 50 list. Absolutely. And, and I think you stated it pretty well, uh, you know, in addition to how important he was to those Bulls teams. And, and, you know, as you said, Jordan's at the center of it, but a lot of Jordan being able to have the energy to play as good of offense as he did was Pippen running around and, and, and guarding those and being the, the defensive identity of those teams was absolutely 100% Scottie Pippen, you, you know, whether, you know, no matter how you slice, I mean, that that a lot of it, it, it doesn't really go quite as well without Scottie Pippen. I think that everybody kind of knows that and we're, we're sort of preaching to the choir for this as well. But yeah, I think he's a, he's a shoe and he's a very likely, he, he's in there. I mean, he's a guy who absolutely, you know, rate stats, some won't, you know, don't really grade him out very well and all that sort of stuff. But he would be, I mean, like you said, when you're talking about one of the best wing defenders ever and a guy that I don't think anyone's going to argue when you say that, he's a top 50 player of all time, for sure. All right, so we'll move on to uh, Billy Cunningham, who we've who is on the bubble. Uh, small forward and power forward from 1966 to uh, 76. Uh, he was uh, one-time ABA MVP. He played two seasons in the ABA. Um uh, was uh, three times All-NBA first team, one time All-NBA first team as well, and then one time uh, second team uh, for NBA. Um, 
advanced stats, he doesn't necessarily grade all that well. 146th in win shares, 135th in win shares for 48. He had two top 10 seasons of uh, win shares. Uh, PER actually ranks him five top 10 seasons, so a little bit stronger there. Um, and he was part of the um, the 76ers, uh, strong teams in the uh, late 60s. Uh, was on the uh, 76 championship team. Um, although he was actually, uh, I, I, he was sixth in team minutes. It wasn't one of the top contributors, but he was obviously a solid contributor there. Well, uh, well, um, and, um, you know, I guess the negative is maybe his career was kind of relatively uh, short. He then went into coaching and had a lot of success, um, for the, uh, for the 76ers again. um, uh, so, uh, so Curtis, uh, tell us some more about the kangaroo kid. All right. This guy's another one of my favorites. Um, so go ahead and get that out there. So, you know, I'm just a hundred percent biased in Billy Cunningham's favor. <laughs> um, but I, I will start with the detriments. Like he did have a really short career, um, as in like an all NBA, all ABA type player, like making the first teams. He only had five years of that. Um, like, Set 1970 through 75, thereabouts, maybe I'm off by a year. Uh, but that's like the the time where you could say, like, oh, Billy Cunningham's like one of the five, six, seven best players in professional basketball. But those first three years, when he was with the Sixers as the sixth man, um, I think this helps explain just how important he was to those teams. Uh, in his rookie year, uh, Red Auerbach, that was his last year coaching in Celtics, the, he's, he knew the Sixers – like we're either even with them or might be just a little bit better that year than the Celtics. But our back said, if we can get to Cunningham, because he's a rookie, and he's really important to him, but we can get in with him and get inside his head and make him just mess up. We got the Sixers beat because they can't win unless he goes out there and scores what he scores. And their defense just totally hawked Billy Cunningham. He got like flustered and just wasn't into the series and his Sixers lost. In 67, that didn't work. Cunningham was just on fire. The Sixers just completely beat the crap out of the Celtics and just swept them out the playoffs. And then in 68, Cunningham got hurt uh, before the Celtics series, so the Sixers lost that one. So even though he was the sixth man, I think that says a lot about how important he was to those teams when he was a rookie and they got into his head. The Sixers lost when he was hurt. The Sixers lost, but when he was on his A game, the Sixers just completely trounced the Celtics. Um, and Bill Simmons, uh, his book, uh, The Book of Basketball, I disagree with a lot in it. Uh, I, I enjoyed it a lot, but uh, disagree with a lot. But the thing I found, one of the things I found most just beneficial from it was when he made the argument for Billy Cunningham as NBA MVP in 69. And I went back to look at it and I was like, yeah, there's a lot to say about Cunningham having been the NBA's MVP in 69. Like if you say he was, there's not a lot you can say against that. And he's the ABA MVP in 1973. So you're looking at a guy that was... Definitely MVP in 73, could have been MVP in 69. Fantastic six man for three years. Like, I think that kind of vaulted him over the top um, in terms of being a top 50 player. Yeah, I uh, there's not too much that I can really I, – I, I think he's – the longevity is going to be a big issue with him. Um, uh, one thing I thought was kind of interesting as well, uh, his first year in the ABA, he, had, uh, he led the league in 216 steals. Uh, which is funny because two years later uh, in the uh, NBA, 80 games, so four less games than he played with the uh, Carolina in 73. He had 90, uh, 91 steals. So uh, he had a particularly great year in steals, which I don't know what uh, – have you ever, uh, Curtis, figured out what uh, – was it just 
Carolina scoring oh, was just yeah. like insane or like like what were they counting as steals? Just like any possible <laughs> turnover was going to Billy yeah, Cunningham as a steal or No, this kind of his downfall. This is why his career was so short. Uh he had like a kidney ailment. Um uh-huh. his second year in the ABA. So that he only played like, you know, he barely played his second year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, no. Well, so also, that's gonna... Yeah. Well, he, he had the in that seventy three. He has two hundred sixteen, as I mentioned. You know, wins the, the uh, and then uh, NBA uh, thirty one uh, at age thirty one in nineteen seventy five. He only has ninety one. Yeah. So, I mean, it's very possible yeah. that he had yeah. you know one hundred and twenty extra steals or whatever. But yeah, I, I find that kind of uh, ABA yeah. dubious. But that, that's all right. That's it's yeah. ABA yeah. for you. But that's that is yeah, an interesting yeah. dichotomy. You know, I mean, yeah, maybe partly getting older, partly the difference in the leagues, partly, um, yeah, the the ailment. Um, you know, still, even though he did play a full season and and played pretty well in that in that you know his second to last season in '75. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, you could definitely see that um, making a uh, making a big difference. Yeah, I I, I think that yeah, the thing that's going to hurt him is the longevity. Although yeah. when when he was you know. He clearly was very, very good, uh, you know, when he played. I mean, I think, you know, we kind of view – we might view him sort of similarly to to Havlicek if he had just been able to, you know, have that, you know, like that long kind of career. And as we mentioned with Greer, if that um, Sixers team had stayed together and had had more team success in the late 60s and early 70s, that would be kind of another thing that I think would would boost him up. But um, great nickname, though. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, oh, one last thing on him. When he did sure. leave the Sixers to go to the ABA, remember, that's when the Sixers had the worst team in NBA history. So his last year at the Sixers was 72. Then he jumped to the ABA in 73. The 73 Sixers, without Billy Cunningham, won nine games. So when he left, they just completely fell, complied to all the wheels, fell off the wagon. So uh, that guy yeah. was holding that team together by shoestrings. Oof. Yeah. Um... So uh, next is uh, Dave DeBusher, uh, who is, for us, a bubble candidate. Uh, small forward, power forward from 63 to 74. Uh, one uh, time All-NBA uh, second team. He was on the uh, six times on the All-Defensive first team. The, again, the defensive team started in 69 season, I believe. Uh, he's not in the top 250 in either win shares or win shares per 48. Um, was obviously uh, was part of um, the those um, Knicks teams of the uh, early 70s that are, uh, of course, great, but also are um, uh, largely heralded because they happen to be in New York. Um, and actually, fun fact, I didn't realize he actually played five more games in Detroit than he did in New York. He was uh, from Detroit and was a star of the uh, the, the Pistons team in the middle of the 60s, and who unfortunately uh, were not very good for the most part. So, um, so Curtis, uh, tell us more about Dave DeBusher. Uh, I think you got most of what, what Dave was about. Um uh, and kind of the question you posed before this, uh, we started recording, you know, what is the, does his defense and intangibles outweigh the seeming lack of tangibles, I guess, you know, the numbers on the sheet. Um, and I don't quite know, like he was a tremendous defender. Uh, Cause like you mentioned how the all defense teams didn't start till 69 or 68, one of those years. And that's like halfway through his career. Um, he made the all-defensive team for the rest of his career after they introduced it. So uh, you can kind of assume that he would at least have, you know, maybe three or four more if they had it earlier. Uh, and I guess something to his offensive credit, like his field goal percentage is 
pretty bad, even for a power forward <laughs> in the '60s and early '70s. Like it's still not that not that great at all. Uh, but he he actually had range on his jump shot though, so he was a power forward that stretched defense out. So uh, I would love if somehow we could do this, like get a like a shot chart of where he was taking most of his shots during his career, because I would assume most of it would be like mid and long range jump shots, him trying to spread the floor out, uh, especially after he went to the New York Knicks. But um, we'll never know unless we watch every game tape, every game film. And that's <laughs> I think you can do it, Curtis. <laughs> I I believe in you, Curtis. <laughs> Let us know if we can help in any way, but uh, I believe in you. <laughs> yeah, he uh, he doesn't jump off at the page uh, for any real stat. He he's gonna be an interesting case because yeah, there's nothing like really awful in the stats that you look at and go, oh my god. But he's just not a guy who who shows up a lot in, in all time leaderboards, awards, you know, all NBA. I mean, he just doesn't really do all that much. Just kind of the the consummate sort of role player and intangible defense. You know, he does show up for rebounding uh, and rebound per game numbers or whatever. But otherwise, there's just not a whole lot there. So he's he's going to be an interesting one. I, I I don't quite know the read on him just yet. Uh, but yeah, I could see him being being pretty pretty low on the list or, or, or pretty high on the list rather or, of guys that we would probably chop off. Um, yeah. Uh, so next we have uh, Kevin McHale, who is we have is likely a power forward for the Celtics from 81 to 93. Uh, one all NBA first team, um, three times on the all uh, defensive first team and also three on the all defensive second team. 55th in win shares, 35th in win shares per 48. Um, he uh, five times in his career was in the top 10 in uh, win shares, and of course was part uh, major part of the Celtics teams that won uh, three championships in the uh, in the in the 80s. Um, so yeah, I mean, I would you know he's sort of you know in a sense he is a. Um, you know, because obviously Bird was the number one star of that team. He is um, uh, has some of the same things where he wasn't necessarily like the go-to player on his team, but still produced incredibly well. And obviously, you know, um, especially in the later half of that um, of the '80s, was you know uh, a huge part of their success along with Bird and and, and Parrish. Um, so, uh, Curtis, um, uh, tell us about Kevin McHale. Yeah, he would. I'm glad you you ended uh, what you were saying the way you did because um, you know you, we, when you compare McHale with James Worthy in his situation with the Lakers, uh, McHale could easily fall into that, and I could easily see his situation where like if the things had turned out a little bit different, we'd be in the same spot with McHale. Like, well, how much did he really do? He was playing with you know Bird and Parrish and Tiny Archibald and Bill Walton, but there came a time in the mid and especially late '80s where he became the focal point of the offense when Bird started to have his injury problems. And you can look at it and say, like, yeah, McHale is clearly carrying this team tonight or this whole season. Um, and I think he proved those years that he could be, like, you know, the best player on the team that could go really far in the playoffs. Um, but also he's got a little Sam Jones in him. We talked about Sam's last episode um, where Sam had kind of the luxury of kind of dropping back into the, into the foreground when he needed to. And Mikhail did have that luxury in the first half and, or yeah, kind of first half and in the last couple of seasons of his, of his career when he was like in the, uh, the role player, six man role. So a uh, hard guy to judge because he did have that luxury, but when he had the, the opportunity to step up and be like the, the best player or the most important player for a few seasons, he did that on the Celtics in the late eighties. So uh, I think that counts for something that kind of uh, puts him over James Worthy 
Uh, I don't know why I'm, I feel the need to do that, but that puts him over James Worthy for trying to find this discussion. I uh, put him <laughs> on the top 50 list. So, uh, yeah, take that, James. Uh, Kevin McHale. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Mikael definitely grades out pretty well, you know, doing looking at stats and looking at a bunch of other stuff and doing research for this. He's a guy who who seems super likely to, to remain on the list for us, you know, at least among his forward peers, you know, second in win shares, sixth in true suiting, second in field goal percentage, uh, you know, 26th in free throw, not great, but but right up there and everything else. And just an all-around good player, great player. You know, he's a guy that I think absolutely would stay on this list and, and be on here. Yeah, I, I really don't have any argument. Uh, against him, I think a fantastic player and, and and definitely worthy of the top fifty in my mind. Yeah, he he'd be the one guy I think of almost anybody who I would. It would be really interesting to see how his career would have um, changed if he'd been like the number one option, like if he'd been drafted by the Bullets or or whatever. Sure, I, I, I think that just would be you know. There's a lot of guys who you know that would be interesting for, but I think Mikhail would be like the number one of like okay, what would he have looked like? Um, if he'd been forced into that position because I mean, he had all the talent in the world. It was just sometimes where, um, the, the drive wasn't quite there. I mean, he obviously was, you know, a, a great player and, but it was like, um, you know, he, he, there's always kind of the contrast in personalities between bird and Mikhail where, you know, Mikhail had other things and was more fun loving and bird was, you know, was really serious and, you know, and, and just his preparation and his focus. And so I, I, I don't know. I, I think seeing Mikhail in that situation, I mean, either he would have just thrived and stepped up or he would have just, you know, shirked from it and not been as good on a, in a different situation, I think. Um, so next is Elvin Hayes, um, a, uh, power forward and center for, uh, mostly the Rockets and, and Bullets, um, uh, from 1969-1984. We have him in as likely. He has three all-NBA first teams, three, uh, second teams, also was on the second team twice for all, for all defense, uh, 44th in total win shares, but he is not in the top 250 for win shares for 48, which is a pretty big surprise for me. Uh, three times was in the top 10 in win shares in the league. Um, and, um, did, uh, he was part of a, along with Wes Unseld was part of a, uh, strong bullets, uh, team, uh, teams from the, in the late seventies that had three finals appearances in five years and one championship, uh, was an incredible workhorse, um, played exactly 50,000 minutes in his career, but uh, another guy who, you know, um, especially for his position, really did not have a strong id, uh, advanced stance. And, and part of that might be just because of his longevity, he might have played a few too many extra seasons and played a lot of minutes in that seasons that depressed his overall value. But, um, Curtis, what do you think? Yeah, Elvin Hayes is one of these guys. Um, when I was making my personal list of the top 50 players, when I would leave him off the list, I hated doing that. But then when I put him on the list, I hated putting him on the list. So I was like, I don't know what to do with him. I'm unhappy when he's on there. I'm unhappy when he's off the list. I was like, I just don't want him to be around at all. So I didn't have to deal with him. <laughs> um, which might be a great way to sum up his career. Because um, Bill Fitch hated coaching him in Houston. <laughs> he couldn't wait to get uh, Elvin Hayes retired. Um, but, but yeah, um, I don't know, his field goal percentage suffered because like Dave DeBusher, he took a lot of jump shots. Um, and, you know, I think it was kind of necessary given the team he played on, uh, and with the bullets because Wes Unsell, like Wes Unsell had no range whatsoever. Like Wes was going to be by the basket all the time. 
So I feel like Elvin may take a more jump shots than he should have in a vacuum, but given the situation, I think it was probably a little bit for the better. Um, but the dude, as you said, was a workhorse. Like, there's something to be said for a guy that can play about 40 minutes per game for 16 straight years and hardly ever miss a game. So uh, maybe he shouldn't have been, and it proved that, like, he shouldn't have been the best player on your team. But if he was on your team, like, he's a pretty big piece. You can work around him. Uh, but I'm not sure if that means you're one of the 50 best players ever, though. But um, like I said at the beginning, when I put him on the list, I hate it. When I take him off the list, I hate it. So I don't, <laughs> to, I don't know what to do with Elton. Yeah, he, uh, he, he grades out kind of in between. Uh, advanced stats are, are fairly weak for him. Uh, again, uh, among his peers, he's 81st in true shooting, 75th in field goal, uh, 40th in win shares per 48. So he's an interesting one. I, I don't really know what to do with him either, and he's one that we'll probably end up talking about you know, a lot later you know, down the line when we do you know, a little bit more with this project because, yeah, I, I just don't know. I mean, he led the league in rebounds and points as a rookie. You know, he's scoring title as a rookie as well. I mean, there's, so, there's a lot of stuff there, but – it's just unique. I, I I don't know. It's 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 really hard to get a read on on where he would sort of fit in that overall list right now. So I'll do like Curtis and just say oh. I, I don't know. <laughs> like we'll just we'll just not talk about him and ignore him, and then we don't have oh. to. Oh well, all right. One more thing in Elvis defense. I, I don't want to be too harsh on him. He did bring rim protection to the Bullets because Wes was a great defender, but as we all know, he was shaped like a like a square. Um, <laughs> couldn't reach up too high. But Elvin was tall, like 6'10", so he could jump up. He blocked a lot of shots. When he retired from the NBA, uh, although they didn't start keeping blocks till like later in his career, but he was, I think, uh, first or second all-time in blocks. So he did give the Bulls a lot of defensive rim protection. So that should be said in his defense. So, But I still hate talking about him for this list. <laughs> well, then we'll move on to, um, our, uh, to, to our final uh player for this show uh jerry lucas um who is an, another bubble candidate uh, power forward and center from 1964 to 74 uh three times on the all nba first team two times on the second team uh 84th in win shares 109th in win shares for 48 i actually had four seasons in the top 10 in win shares and actually six times top 10 in per so a little that grades him a little bit better um he um had a pretty strong run uh, in the uh, early in his career with the uh, Royals, although they eventually became a worse team, even though they had Oscar Robertson. Um, did went eventually made his way to the Knicks and was won a title for them. Uh, you know, was a strong role player for the Knicks, but um, not necessarily much stronger than that. Um, to me, kind of seems more very good in his career than great. I mean, certainly had his merits, but. Um, you know, was wasn't someone who was really going to be carrying a team and um and taking it anywhere. Um, Curtis, what do you think? Yeah, you got it. That last, very last thing you said. Uh, very good player, but he was not going to carry a team. Um, and the dude was a stat hog. Like, there's there's no bones about it. Like, um, I got Wayne Embry's uh, autobiography, and Wayne Embry played with the with the Royals uh, for many years with Jerry Lucas. And Embry is just like, there's nights where Jerry Lucas is just like, like you know, diving over me, trying to get a rebound so he can get to 20 rebounds that night, and chasing down like at the end of a quarter, a guy would chuck like you know maybe a full court shot, you know, just like you know just toss it up, see if it goes in. Jerry Lucas is hustling down the other end trying to get that rebound when everybody else is like just walking to the bench. Um, so the guy had gaudy stats, especially in the rebounding, rebounding, but he was purposely like running over teammates to try to get the rebound. It would be like angry if teammates got a rebound over him, especially in the early part of his career. Um, 
So, yeah, his stats, you got to take it with a grain of salt. Like, you know, did he steal four or five rebounds from teammates? That was unnecessary. Um, maybe he got out of position when he was trying to get a rebound unnecessarily, and that gave up some points for the other team. Uh, these are the kind of stuff that you can't really go back and see entirely, but it's kind of questions you got to think about when you look at just how uh, just obsessed. Like, I don't want to say selfish. Like, he wasn't selfish about it, but he's just obsessed with getting these stats. Um, so uh, it's amazing that he ended up on the Knicks and being like, you know, one of the role players on that team, considering how he started. <laughs> right. Just obsessed with trying to get all these rebounds. Uh, but I guess he finally mellowed out by the end of his career. But uh, yeah, he's a bubble guy. I don't. A little less. I he's kind of like Elvin Hayes. Like I, I felt bad when I had him off the list initially, and I think I ended up putting him back on my list. But yeah, he's a, he's a tough guy to kind of pin down. Yeah, he, he grades out real well uh, on the statistical end, and, and a lot of that could be, Curtis, like you mentioned, because that was a big part of what he wanted to do. Uh, yeah, you know, among his peers, you know, he's second overall in win shares. That's among forwards, you know, peers, you know, of his time. Sixth uh, win shares per 48, uh, second in true shooting, third in field goal percentage, 14th in free, uh, free throw, uh, and then third among his peers in total points, total rebounds, and second in assists. So he's, he's got gaudy statistical numbers, but he's one of those guys where I talked about at the top of the show when you mentioned his name and then say top 50, like, I don't know if it's a, you know, right away you're thinking, yeah, oh, he's got to be on there. You know, or statistically, maybe you could make a case, but he, he's an interesting one where the, the, the feel test or like kind of the, the, the smell test doesn't really work for him. Yeah, I, yep, I, I think that's fair. Yep. All right. Well, uh, that's it for uh, this show, but we will uh, we'll be back soon with uh, another episode talking about the uh, rest of the players in the uh, top 50. So uh, come back and check us out soon. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.